I'm Guy Michaels, voiceover artist and director of the training platform VoiceOver Kickstart. In this first season of eight episodes, I've roped in guests and friends with the aim of squeezing out of them useful and actionable advice for voiceover artists, covering audiobooks and drama through to commercial work, the technical side, and how to succeed as a solo entrepreneur. I hope you find the time to listen to each of them. In our first episode, I'm talking with Matthew Lloyd Davies, award-winning audiobook narrator and veteran actor. Matt talks candidly about his career and offers many a gem for actors wanting to record audiobooks from home. For more golden advice and resources, head to voiceoverkickstart.com. Hi, Matt. Thanks very much for coming on with us Hello. Today. How are you? All right. Very good. Nice to, nice to see you. Nice to hear you. Um, so let's start off uh, for our listeners on our podcast a little bit about you in terms of your background. I know that you trained at Bristol Old Vic a few moons ago. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> a few moons. We'll leave it at a few moons. Okay, um, and so you worked a lot in theatre. Yes, my my career is very, 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 very simple. So 1980s Bristol Old Vic, literally go in very sort of classical. Uh, theatre training, you know, Chekhov, Shakespeare, Shaw, all of that. Quite old-fashioned nowadays, but I loved it. Into theatre, doing my thing, um, and just job to job to job. I was never really stage... Uh, sorry, I was never really TV or film actor. I've done bits of TV and I've done bits of film, and I'm very proud of those bits I've done. But for me, it was very much theatre and the the longer my career went the less I even got auditions for TV and the less I was interested I loved the telling the immediacy of telling the story in theatre and you know then I can I'm an actor who can sing a bit so I went into musicals very lucky to get one or two nice big West End musicals and that was really lovely bit of income for a change and Again, it's the very immediate, you know, storytelling, colourful, vibrant, once upon a time, they lived happily ever after. All of the stuff I loved when I was a kid, and I've been very lucky, I think, in my career that that's where it stuck. Um, And then along came an advert, literally, it was in the stage. I had the stage app on my phone, and in one of the adverts was... We're looking for people to record audiobooks. And I was like, oh, that's, this was years ago. This is like eight, nine, nine years ago. Now that's fun. I've always wanted to do that between jobs. You know, all my mates used to go and do books for the blind. That's, yep. you know, they used to yep. go and do that for peanuts because you did your thing. It was a nice thing to do. And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. I never could get in. I sent off a dreadful audition, you know, literally recorded uh, uh, on my laptop with the laptop microphone. Um, came back the email saying, well, you seem to know what you're doing. Now let's work on the quality. And this producer seemed happy to kind of lead me through a a very simple process of how to record. I still look back and think pretty not great quality, really, compared to, I hope, what I do now. But I got these books and I was recording them myself. And I thought, this is fantastic. What a lovely little cottage industry I'm making for myself. Something, a nice little hobby that keeps me busy between jobs. It earned me nothing. I get pennies, literally every quarter I get pennies. That was the deal on these books. I didn't care. I, it was great fun. And then I was really lucky. There was another advert. And again, it was in the stage. So we wasn't this the stage, you know, even not that long ago. And this was... The B Audio, B Audio, for those who don't know, are a producer. They produce audiobooks for a lot of publishers. Um, and they were kind of 
moving over to the UK to set up an, a, a UK operation at the same time as a platform called ACX was going to start in Europe because ACX, Audible Creative Exchange, the sort of platform for independent publishers of audiobooks, was only really available in America. You couldn't do it in the UK, but they extended it to UK and I think some areas of Europe, and I think it went to Australia at the same time. So B Audio thought, oh, we're going to need some readers in the UK because that'll be a good thing. And I was extremely lucky. I opened the app on the right day. I sent in an audition. Again, came back the email. You kind of know what you're doing. And I think this goes back to my training and just the once upon a time, I love telling stories and they lived happily ever after. And again, I went for a meeting with them and this wonderful woman, um, and, I, and I'm very happy to give her name. You'll hear about her and uh, called Helen Lloyd, who was what was called the voice wrangler for B Audio then, kind of sort of a casting director person, just wrangling all these people who wanted to do it. And we went and met and she had a chat with us and we got a, ve a very good, we were very lucky. She gave us a real insight into what it was going to take to work for B Audio. Now, I had been taking three months of my own time to record a book in the loft under duvets, waiting for the tra trains to go past and the buses to stop, you know. And, and I take three months and I'm in, in, in the meeting with the um, CEO, James, and he's like, yeah, no, you're not going to get three months. We'll give you a couple of weeks. And I was like, what, two, two weeks for a 10-hour, for a 12-hour hour book? And in, in my head, I was like, you're out of your tiny cotton-picking mind. Um, went away and thought, okay, right, going to get the setup. This sounds like it might really work for me. And um, sort of gambled a bit, got the money together somehow, borrowed, begged and stole and from family and friends and upgraded the mic and upgraded the duvet, um, literally upgraded the duvet into a cupboard in my daughter's bedroom. A um, tug. Pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> this time with a frame around me, and it was at the back of the house. It used to take me about 45 minutes to an hour to set up when she'd gone to nursery. And I'd sit in this cupboard, and it was so small, it was like this. And I used to have to pull a rope over the hanging rail to get the to get the door to close. It was brilliant acoustics, and started recording. Um, and I got th my very first job for B Audio was this trilogy of books. And it came in in exactly the same time the builders moved in next door to do a loft extension and I couldn't work. And I rushed around Brighton where I live and go, oh my God, I've got to find a studio. Oh my, this is going to cost me a fortune. What do I do? And luckily my friends have their heads screwed on and said, for Christ's sake, swallow it, do it. You've got this amazing opportunity. So I, half the fee went in studio fees and I found a studio. They gave me keys to the studio. Bonkers, people. That's Brighton for you. How wonderful. I used to get there at five in the morning so I could finish recording before all the rock bands started. Um, and I got these books recorded and finished. And somehow they worked. And I used that money thinking to myself, this is my fortune. I've just made thousands of pounds in three weeks. Oh my gosh, that's it. I'm made baby. And got a mate of mine who, who's a builder and loves his DJing and music. And he built me in my loft at the time, a booth, which we didn't know. We put together my ideas from websites and Googling and his ideas from building and music and studios he'd worked in. And we made this booth and it was brilliant. And the acoustics were fantastic. And that was all the money from those three books gone. And then I sat on my, <laughs> sat on my bum waiting for work to come in and nothing really happened for just quite a nothing. while because I was brand new and I just got my first books and, you know, okay. And then 
And then B Audio, I was so lucky. B Audio used to run what they called the HSCC Home Studio Competency Certificate. And they decided they hadn't got enough people who really knew what they were doing. And you do need to know what you're doing. Um, and they, I did this, I think it was a six um, pod, six piece course. I think it took me about three months or two months to get through. I can't remember. It was quite hardcore, starting with what they want from us. What is a WAV file? I couldn't really tell you now. I don't care. I don't need to know. I just need to know how to make it work for me. And they dragged you mm-hmm. through literally to hard limiting, to EQing yourself, to what is a high-pass filter, how to do noise reduction, how to, you know, what what is volume matching, as uh, you know, within the mastering stack? Well... <laughs> Look, Guy, you know all the answers to those. If someone said that to me now, I go, I'm not entirely sure, but I know kind of how to get it set up so it works for me. And that's all I needed to know. That's all you need. That's all you need how to it works yeah. for me. And because I was doing their course and I paid to do it, of course, the, it was a B Audio course. And I was the first one on the course. I was just lucky to be at just the right place at the right time. And then they knew my name a bit more. And then the work started trickling in and I was getting maybe a book every two and a half, three months, you know, and I was like, this is kind of fun. And I'm getting a book and all my mates were like, oh, Matt, you love mucking around with bits of, you know, tech and, and, and you're still acting in between acting jobs. This is brilliant for you. And I thought, yes, it's great. And then I'd started getting more books. And then I was like, you know, I've got an audition next week. Oh, oh no, you know, the, the classic, you've got an audition tomorrow, Matt, you know, phone from agent. Oh, Christ, um, I've got a 10 hour book to record and it's really stressing me out because I didn't have that efficiency that you need um, to do a 10 hour. I mean, I'd do 12, I could do a 15 hour book in a week if I had to, I wouldn't enjoy it. It was, it's hard graft, you know, mm. two hours to do an hour. If you're really on it, an hour and a half to do a finished hour. But Reckon on two hours when you want to stop and go to the loo and get a coffee and just give yourself a break or the book's not something you enjoy reading. Two hours to do a finished hour. 15 hours in a week is hard graft. And I was really up against it. And then auditions were coming in. I was like, well, I better get ahead with work so that I can do the audition. And then you'd get offered a job and you go, but hang on, I've, I've booked an audio book for those weeks. And I had all these kind of. As an, as an effects job, you mean? Yeah, um, yeah, you know, you'd yeah. get you'd get booked, and and then I'd say to my agent, "Well, I I've got I'm earning okay with this, and if I say yes to the theatre job for you know 450 quid a week, I'm going to have to say no to that." And it all started to get difficult, and I'd never I'd never yet turned a theatre job down because of audiobooks, nor have I uh, nor have I turned an audiobook down because of theatre. But the conversations with my agent got more and more and more awkward because it's this is just a wonderful way of making a living as an actor when, like me, middle-aged, young daughter, going to school, oh, oh, I can earn a living and not go on tour and not miss her school play. I can make a living and, oh, look, we'll scrape the money together for an Easter holiday. Um but I could never do that before. I can't, you know, my, my partner would be like, right, we're going up to Newcastle to see the family. So, okay, you book it and I'll be with you if I can. And of course a job mm. would come in. Now I'm like, no, I'm booking that time off. So for me, yes, just gradually over time, um, the audiobooks took over. Now that's not to say I didn't want them to. It was my decision in the end to let them take over. 
and I got into this business, boy, lucky, lucky man, you know, ACX had just started and now it's not quite what it was. B Audio had just started, which was an incredible introduction to me, although they were based in the UK, they're American producers. And that meant other American producers would listen to their work. So I got other American work. So I found myself in that snowballing situation, which I'm not sure really exists in the same way. There's been two of them. I've got friends now in the audiobook industry. Go back 20, 25 years when it started really getting to be something serious in America. And they talk about rates of pay that would make our eyes water. Um, and even then, and it's and then gradually more and more people got home studios in America, and the rates mm-hmm. came down. But luckily, in America, they got very strong unions, so the rates of pay stay in a pretty good place. Yeah. I've been very lucky. I've worked hard for my luck, but nonetheless, the luck has been there, and and I I just I find myself now full time audiobooks. I still get the fear of a freelancer of what's going to, what's, what happens next year? What happens after Christmas, you know? And then <laughs> you know, the email comes, are you interested in being submitted for this book or that book? I was submitted for one the other day and I, thought, I really want this book. I really want this book. And I didn't get it. Thought, oh God, February is looking awful. But then as a sort of, what happens is you don't get the nice book you wanted and the publisher go, well, look, will you do this one for us? And it'll be one you didn't really want to do, but you're like, yes. Because for me, having been an actor as long as I am, have 35 years i think uh, since drama school i think about that success is uh, am i paying the bills with what i do as a profession and i am and that's really apart from those incredible moments when i was in the west end um which is a whole different thing again as people who've been in the west end will tell you for the first time in my life i've had consistency i've been able to pay the bills i haven't panicked about the mortgage or mm-hmm. you know we were able to move house now moving house is horrible in its own way and expensive you know mortgages and all that but moving house even to be able to do that because i knew i'd be able to pay the bills afterwards it's given me a freedom of life that i don't think i ever would have had as a just plain old stage actor which i adore and miss hugely um, but you know, the time comes when I want to do other things and I've been very, very fortunate. And that isn't to say that those fortunate opportunities are not still out there. They are, but it's, it's a different route in now and it's a, it's slightly different. You, you, you pointed out a few, um, sort of right place, right time cornerstones throughout that, but, um, it's also about your nat- your natural affinity, because I've always thought with audiobooks. First of all, I always said I would never do an audiobook, and then I did one, and now I will never do one ever again. <laughs> okay, and uh, that was a short one, and it was a business book. It was only about four or five hours long. Yeah, and bored me senseless. But so you've really got to want to do it, haven't you? And as another friend of mine who does lots of sci-fi and fantasy work. And I take it from him that he can't believe he's getting paid to read the sci-fi and fantasy books that he would probably just read anyway. Yeah. Well, he's very—he's the very lucky. He's what I call the extraordinary 
really lucky end of the profession and you're the other end of the profession which is you can do it but this is not something that you want to be doing i'd put myself in the middle i get books oh, i had a great book the other day uh, or at least i loved it it was um about the beatles and it was about the history of the beatles and i loved reading every second of it and the next book is a semi erotic um uh, let's let's say romance shall we um precious little romantic about it um but that's what you do to pay the bills and some people love reading that the writing is vivid and 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 extraordinarily good fun sometimes but it's not something i enjoy i just find it dull and i want to be reading things that interest me and i'd love to be reading those really good fiction titles um but i don't because i work for the american market that's one of the good things of the american market is i get work and the pay is quite good um some of my friends who i've got to know over the years do far more of the uk market the pay is not nearly as good they get much much nicer shall we say titles they don't have to do some of the non-fiction that others might find dull so i i did start pulling my hair out at one stage you're in you're on your own in a cupboard, if you like, or under a duvet, or in my lovely posh booth. It's just a posh cupboard. It's no different. It's a cupboard with a glass door. Aren't I lucky? I never look out the glass door, so who cares, you know? But I got to the stage, um, and a lot of, I've heard this now a lot, a lot of narrators get there because it's such an extraordinarily expanding market. They're throwing work at you sometimes, and you're freelance, so you don't say no, and you end up hours and hours and hours on your own. Incredibly intense work because you are directing yourself. It isn't just reading a book, and if anybody tells you it is, just laugh and go, yeah, yeah, right, now tell me, what is it really? Mm-hmm. It's, it's focused and intense. It's lonely. It, 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 you are alone on your own. I, I, the story I tell during, um, uh, we had a lockdown, didn't we? And uh, uh, two weeks in, I got quite depressed. And some of my friends, why? You're okay. I went, no, I, I know. I've just realised my life hasn't changed at all. <laughs> at all. I noticed nothing different. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly realised you've got to get out more properly. And that was before anything, you know, anything that's going on in the outside world. You don't, you're not aware of it. You have to cut that out. You have to, you cannot read a book and be thinking about the argument you had with your girlfriend an hour ago or be worrying about your daughter's report or you got to focus on it. You know, I know we all hear stories of Judy Dench being on stage, doing a speech, thinking about her shopping list, but that's because she's done the same speech 50 times and she's learned it backwards. And we've all been on stage and had that moment where we did a scene and go, oh, I don't even remember doing that scene. You can't, you can't do an audiobook like that. You've got to be reading ahead. You've got to be taking the grammar into account. How did this person write? Who is this author? What is the character of the book, the character of the stories? You know, are you gone? Is it you in first? Are you in first person or is it third person? If it's third person, oh, have you drifted into really close third person? Have you come out to the omniscient away from things and, you know, distant third person? You cannot stop thinking. And, and, I think I'm just, I, yeah, it's, it's a compliment. Yes, I, I have a, a, a brain that seems to be able to do that. That is luck. That is just who I am and what my brain is. And, and it turns out that audiobooks and the production of them absolutely suit my passion 
for without sounding it's not meant to be a pun but for storytelling for theater if mm. you like or anything that we do whether it be a voiceover where there's a beginning a middle and an end there's a here i am here's a, what i want to tell you now i've told you it's the same with anything any of us do and i just love that and in audiobooks it is it's distilled but it's distilled into a very very large bottle <laughs> if, if that makes sense some these are very long answers i'm sorry i'm babbling but it's it is quite a something I I struggled. I did struggle for about a year, but I had by then committed to this, and I just had a bit of a revelation one day. And your mate who reads the sci-fi that he would read anyway, great, but I wasn't getting that. And then one day I was like, "Why am I getting so down about this? I love doing what I do," mm-hmm. and I had to remember to love the doing of it, love the making of the audiobook i don't have to love the book i have to love the making of the audiobook take those words and use the skills that i love to use to make the best audiobook i can and sometimes if the book is something that i might say i didn't think was a particularly good book the real joy is making it work as an audiobook because that's, the job. because that's the job. And sometimes you get the book you really love. Oh, there's a couple of books I just read recently and they're so love, not lovely. They're quite dark fictions. And I found them the hardest books as audio books because they were written as books and they're very tightly written and they're beautifully written and audio changes that. And my job is to change it as little as possible. My job is to take the author's words and create audio. My job is not to be Matthew Lloyd Davis. My job is to to be the conduit of the author. Um, I was reading something the other day, and it, it, it was it was very much of this ilk in the relation in the triangular relationship between the author, the narrator, and the listener. The narrator is the least important of those three, mm-hmm. and and when you remember that, that becomes strangely the joy of the job. And that it, it, literally one day, I went down to my girlfriend. Said, oh, I think I've just had a bit of a, a, a one of those moments. Uh, you know, uh, and she said, what do you mean? I said, I've just said that, you know, now I'm, I'm enjoying the job. She said, I thought you hated that book. I went, it doesn't matter. I love making the audio book. And I've just become one of those people now who actually actually says, yes, I really love my job, which a lot of audiobook people have been saying to me for ages. I'm like, yeah, I do sometimes. But it's <laughs> taken you, but it's taken you a while to get there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was there for a short time and then it, then it becomes hard graft. And yeah. then it's, it's a whole discipline in a different way to any acting I've ever done because of the, you've said yourself, you did a four or five hour book and you were like, enough, I can't be in here. The discipline of, I now do it standing because my posture was becoming appalling because I was leaning over and I found that moment and that's where the mic is and you can't move about and didn't matter what chair I had, there'd be a creak or a click or a clunk or every chair on God's green earth makes a noise. So I now stand and for two weeks, hated it and then the third week I was like oh I quite like this I think I, I remember your your cupboard that you had to lock yourself in with the rope and <laughs> it was the that? <laughs> I do and I, well, I remember, you, I remember we, we, did, we had a session on it or something yes we did uh, when, I, when we I first did. met you and I remember yeah. it was the least ergonomic <laughs> environment for doing yeah. long my shoulders were like audio. yeah it was like this because yeah. when when you pulled the rope closed <laughs> pushed my shoulder in because otherwise my shoulder was opening the door so this arm would pull it that would close and i'd managed to do like maybe half a page (gasps) get a breath and start again you've got to keep that keep that consistent position position on the mic 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I stand for everything as well. And obviously I do a lot of um, far more short form than you, but I stand for everything. Yeah. Not because I believe that it kind of gives me greater control capacity or anything like that. You should have the same whether you're sitting or standing is if you're on the right stool, but just because I want to stand up because we sit down so much at desks now so yeah. any opportunity to stand up i'll take it i was going to ask you um you mentioned erotica let's leave that alone um but you what's your favorite genre have you um, did, what is it or rather was your favorite genre as a reader the same as a narrator no and i don't i have to be honest i don't think i really have a favorite genre as a narrator i as a narrator you soon know when the writing's good and it isn't until really you get into the booth. And when I say good, I mean, good for me. Is this good for me to read? It just becomes apparent the minute you open your mouth and start recording. And there, there'll be a book I've prepped because you've got to read the book first, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you'll read it and you might think, I love this. And then you'll put it, get up in front of the mic and just the words won't come out. They're not written for audio. They were the words and the thoughts that the author put down on the page, and they didn't say them out loud as they read them. They thought them. Um, so my favourite genre, honestly, honestly speaking, is the, those that are easy to read because it's great fun. I mean, some I do have a a large fondness in the booth for nonfiction. Um, there's something. There's something about nonfiction. It's the best character study because it's one person usually writing passionately about something they love. And I've been really lucky. I don't know if because I I can have quite a chatty narration style. I don't in fiction. Fiction, I don't think people would say, oh, he's quite chatty. But with nonfiction, that I got sent one recently and it's they wanted, they sent a sample of the author who does a lot of TED Talk type talks. And he's kind of ex- Exciting, and he's like this. I thought, well, you can't do an audio book like that because people would turn off within half a page. So you just got, they wanted an essence of him. And I really, really enjoyed reading it because his personality is just all over the page because he just wrote how he thinks, which is how he speaks. And it was just so much fun to read, to make his points. And to feel like, oh, I really connected with you. I, uh, I had to do some corrections today for one that came in um, about arguments. And again, the writer just wrote in a style that I just found so easy to connect to. And I liked the subject matter because I'm an argumentative little so-and-so. And I found it fascinating to, it, it was almost like I was being psychoanalyzed in this book that was written for me to speak. And it was just a joy to do. I know it's a bit of a non-answer, but that is the truth of it. When I'm, when I'm recording, it's the writing that I connect with that I love to record. I wouldn't say, I mean, I love whodunits. I love thrillers. I hate recording them. They're the hardest thing. A thriller where the, the the criminal is the criminal you might see a criminal thought in italics you know how they're watching and they'll put the criminal thoughts in italics well that's the criminal's voice isn't it and then of course the criminal is your brother or you know your sister's best mate well that's the criminal's voice too so the who done it doesn't really work because you've heard who's done it straight away so now i've got to think how do i do the criminal's thoughts and voice without giving away that he's the criminal when we don't actually find out 
it was the victim's brother until the 11th chapter of 12 chapters. And you're like, oh, this is a nightmare. There was one where the, 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 the killer very specifically had an Australian accent. And you're like, well, that character is him and he's got an Australian accent. So everyone's going to know. So we had to, <laughs> I did get into quite a long email discussion with the publisher. And usually they don't want to know. They send you the book. It's over to you. But I said to them, I don't really know what you want me to do because basically in the first chapter, you know who done it. Um, because there's no, you, you have to, but I'll just do it because you have to do as read. You can't add, you know, you feel yeah. like getting, if you get in touch with the author and say, can we just put, he said in a London accent, and then you could say, and then you add at the end, he had been disguising his voice all along. Nope. Yeah. The book has to be as published. It has to be, that's the contract that the, the audiobook publisher has with the print publisher they don't change a word reminds me of a there was a pretty terrible film years ago called phone booth with colin farrell oh yes, stuck yes, in a yes, phone yes, booth yes, in yes, the middle yes. of new york or something and any i i can't really remember it too much I but remember, I remember it start it yeah. starts off it's Kiefer sutherland who's yeah. talking to him well there you go well yeah. mystery solved well so we whenever know you that see Kiefer, yeah yeah well, well, we we know it's him because we know who he is. We know who he is as an actor. We recognise his voice straight away. Um, in other areas of recorded voice, as you know, if you, like I say, in, especially in kind of corporate stuff, if something comes through and it, and it is one of those scripts where you think this was meant to be read in someone's head, never read out loud, mm-hmm. then actually quite often you can, especially if you've got a relationship with that client, you can have a bit of back and forth and say, hey, what about maybe using some punctuation in this 500 500 word paragraph Uh, or something but but in your world in your world is there ever a time where you could go to whoever's booked you for the job and say can we can we play with something here can we play with the wording can we can we do anything honestly i don't think so no 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 i the closest you get to that and it's funny because i'm sort of do I'm doing an online course about um audiobooks at the moment and I'm talking about punctuation and and how punctuation is your friend because of course it is it is there and, and we get too wound up oh punctuation it means this and it means that. no it is there to punctuate to help the author be clear when they wrote down that that's a subthought of that, that that's a side thought of that. It's there well, to that, guide you. It's there to guide you. And therefore to there, guide the listener. And therefore to guide the reader, which doesn't mean to say you have to take the, the uh, punctuation as exactly written. You, your job is to create what you think would make the best audio book that that author wrote. So, for instance, if you said... Um, he loved her, but she hated him. You, you could be, he loved her, comma, but she hated him. So you could just read it like that. Or you could go, he loved her, but she hated him. Now I've moved the comma to after the but. The comma is there to tell you there's a change of thought. Where you act that change of thought is where it works in that moment. Now, if that moment had been a diatribe of him going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that works really well. And I've moved the comma. That's fine because I haven't changed the thought. I've enhanced the thought to that moment. Um, and that happens all over the place. Or you get a classic book. I think I think this happened. I keep thinking it's this one. Um, I did The Origin of Species and 
it was driven by Charles Darwin. And they were fair, he was fairly careful with his punctuation and very complicated English, a very educated man who didn't seem to need much punctuation. I understood not one word of some pages and I had to go back and go, oh, of course, he's not using punctuation like we would. He's using very, very good English, but I don't, un- literally, I didn't understand. So I had to go through and go, well, actually, that in my in my thought terms, there's a comma there. That's a sub thought. Oh, okay. And I literally had to put mental punctuation in to create the best audiobook that he had written. I can't create the audiobook. I can only create what he has written. But it had to be done because otherwise I couldn't make sense. There, there were sentences that were literally half a page long. Like whole a whole paragraph would be one sentence within which there were parentheses. But they weren't obvious to me because I'm used to reading with a comma telling me there's a parenthesis. He was used to intelligent people knowing that he was going off on another sub route. And you you find you you find the way through. There's a route I've got. Uh, I have a root system. I, it's literally like a tree. Think of the tree, the root of the point that he's making in a nonfiction, or the root of the plot. Then has these lateral roots that come off, and the lateral roots are smaller, so they're lighter. So you might use a different, you know, tone of voice. So that that is the punctuation in audiobooks. Now nowadays, if you get a book that's written by an intelligent author that flows beautifully, you'll find all the punctuation is in exactly the right place. And again, it's a joy to read, but we all, I mean, I mean, I'm a dreadful writer when, in terms of sense, I use ellipses all over the place and I have to go through and get rid of them all. But I know writers who do that. Now, for me, sometimes my ellipses are actually meant to be a colon or a a comma. Writers use different ways of doing it. And what I've noticed nowadays is, quite often a book is very, very speedily edited or the writer will say, no, I wanted to write it like that. You know, there are play, you know, there's a playwright. Um, oh, I've got his name now. And he, 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 a lot of his plays, there was no punctuation and there were no capitals. He said, I want to write like that. Yeah. People do that on purpose. You've still got to make sense of it. You can't just read it and go, well, he wrote nonsense. They didn't write nonsense. They're writing it so that you have to think about when you're reading it, you have to think about what it means. As an audiobook reader, I can only think about what it means to me and, and try and be sure that that's the point he was trying to make. And therein is the real nitty gritty work when you're doing your prep read and you're not always going to be successful by any stretch. In, in most cases, when you when you actually sort of start the recording process, you're on your own, aren't you? Um, yeah. Oh, no, I am. Yes, I am. No, I am. It's different. Uh, I am because in the US, they're very, very used to what's called remote recording. Remote as in not in a studio. I record from home. I always have. My first proper client was an was B-Audio. They were, they're an American company. They're used to that and they respect it. In the UK... Um, current circumstances have changed that somewhat, but it's not as, or has not been to date, as respected um, uh, working process as in the US. But I have only, I've done one, I've done one book in a studio and for me it was a disaster because I don't, I have my own Axe to Grimer studios. They say, no, we need to direct you. They don't direct you. It's not a director. They put you with an engineer who then says, oh, I don't, yeah, no, you said that wrong. It's like, mate, you're an engineer. 
get, get out of the room. You're just there to make sure that I don't have too many pops and clicks and that I punch and roll properly. Um, it's an odd system in the UK that is changing. And I think for the better because remote recording in the end, look, if Miriam Margulies sits down in a studio um, and a director who's very good tells her what to do, she will change it. But mostly Miriam Margulies is going to read like she reads. Oh, good Lord. I hope she never listens to this. She'll have my guts for garters. But you can really, another bee in my bonnet, you can only read how you read. You know, it's a 12 hour book. You can't be anyone but you for 24 hours in a studio. That's, it's like, it's, it is like one of the most intense acting jobs. When you're acting, you find that piece of you that will tell that character's story. You become that character. So for 24 hours on my own in a studio, there's no way someone sitting in the room next to me is going to knock on the glass and go, yeah, I didn't like the way you read that. And I'm going to be able to hold on to the personality of that author, which is what I've got to do. That's me. That's the way I work. Um, that is the way most narrators work in America, but not all, not all. I, w- I wonder, you know, if it would, it would vary from person to person in their experience. I, I much prefer working on my own. Yeah. Like you said, in, in the lockdown, you didn't really notice a difference. Neither did I. Um, and in directed sessions, sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's useful to have another ear and sometimes it's not, but that's for sure, much shorter form work. Um, I wonder if there is really ever, ever a time in, in long form audio, you know, in audio book production uh, where there's a benefit of, of having a director. And the reason I'm sort of thinking about that is I wonder if you actually give a better performance just being on your own knowing that you're not, you've not got someone looking over your shoulder, you're fully relaxed. If you want to go and have a cup of tea or go to the loo or go for a walk or break your day up or pick your kid up from school, you know, that's your time. And also you're going to be, you're going to be recording when you feel like you're in your zone rather than arrive at the studio at 10 o'clock and you'll be there for five hours nonstop with someone hitting start and stop. I don't know. I mean, for me, I'd rather be on my own with it. I'd rather be on my own now. I, I find it difficult to have someone. I, I mean, uh, the, anyone listening, if you don't know what punch and roll is, look it up and you'll understand. But I'm punch and rolling myself and I, I'm very, very efficient at it. It's like, stop, start again, stop, start again. In a studio, someone else doing that for me, which is what they would insist on doing. Say, oh, Matt, can you stop, please? Right, yeah, this happened. They'll have a discussion about it. They go, right, we'll go back. We'll put it back in there. Start again from that line. I'm already 10 seconds behind in that minute what I would be doing on my own. Now, if you do that twice a minute or once every three minutes, you're now a minute behind on three minutes. So in five minutes in the studio, I've done what I could do in three minutes at home. So in an hour in the studio, I've probably lost 20 minutes of time and I'm not getting as much done. It's disjointed. In the studio, I'm in my zone. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people in the studio with with a director, they're in their zone and they do it and they work mm. very, very well that way. But I think the future of audiobooks is absolutely remote recording. I mean, I, I noticed a statistic the other day, finally in this country, it's we're up in American numbers, 42% growth in the last 18 months or year. That is one humongous growth. 
they ain't going to get any more growth if they keep trying to do it in their studios because they're not going to use Soho studios. It costs too much. When I get paid my rate, they're not paying a studio. Even if I went to Penguin Random Random House, they've still got to budget their own studios within their studio department. Mm. So in effect, they're paying a studio rate. So I become more expensive. It, it is changing and I think will continue to do so. And it is going to be about home recording and self-directing and, and, and that will be the way forward. And there will be opportunities to go to um, studios. The difference in the UK and why I probably don't do it as much is that in the UK, there seems to be a very much more last minute um, element to producing audiobooks. You don't get as long to either prepare or, um, or you know, you literally you're told, right, we've got dates in two weeks. Even, even when I'm working at home, I, I'm getting, I, I got, I was getting offers last year from my agent saying, right, uh, they've got a book, um, they want to start recording in 10 days. And I said, well, I'm busy in 10 days. And they didn't kind of understand I'm a full, time narrator because there aren't that many in the uk in comparison to say to the us um or, or or even at all in the uk actual people just narrating there aren't many um and so they don't really understand and it got really awkward because every time i was offered a book i really wanted to do i was fully booked whereas in america they'll book me three months in advance because they know their narrators are full-time narrators so that's the other element of the, the 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 British industry is yes maybe if it was all you know you've got a week then all I can do is I can read this as quick as I can make some frenzied notes and then I've got as you say a director in the room who's also read it then when I make a wrong decision because I was forced to read it so quickly he's there to check me whereas where I've got you know two three months I've read all the books I'm going to do in January next year because I like to read them, especially the fictions, read them, make my notes, let that, let that story settle in my head. And it puts me in, I think, in a great place, that's my process, to start the work. The thought of getting a book today and having to start recording it next week, I'm going to scare the living bejesus out of me. And I mm. applaud those who can do it because that's another talent that is going to be very useful. If, you, if you're a really quick reader and you can prep quick, then come on down because you're going to get work. I think Helen could do it. <laughs> Helen Lloyd, yeah, pro- probably. I'm not the quickest of readers. I'm pretty quick on non on non fiction. I have a, a yeah, but but fiction, I, I want some time. <laughs> um, so you, you know, you talked a little bit about your process there. How, you've been at this now for I suppose coming up ten years. It's coming up eight years, I think. Eight years. Okay. Nice. So how how has your process changed, developed in that time from the moment you receive? the manuscript to the moment you send it off as a finished product. How has that changed? Um, literally, probably not much. Um, in that there is, for me, what one, for me, it's always been much the same as my acting process, which is, and, and, and this is another part of the course I'm writing, it's in the book. Everything you need is in the book. So read the damn book properly and you will know what to do. You know, even the discussion we've just had about punctuation, read the book, find out there's no punctuation, you will be prepared to then self-punctuate. And and, and it's amazing how quickly you adapt to someone's writing. Read the book, you will know the characters. 
don't do voices, do characters. Read the book, find out who the characters are. You don't, you you will make a, a sample. You will make a sample on, on a piece of software to have on your laptop to find easily. Oh, I can't remember that character. He has, I haven't heard him for three chapters. But if you really, really know the characters, you won't need to do that because you're doing a character, not a voice. Now that sounds very clever and aren't I clever? No, I'm not. Of course I have character samples. Of course I can't remember everybody, but you get a, you know, talking a process, you get a, what was it a Viking, you know, legendary tale, which I had with literally, I think it was like 58 or 60 characters, all described as burly, strong men, all from the same village, all, so all the same background, all the same village, you know, okay, so I can't do accent differences. I can't do many tonal differences because they're all described as having low, rough voices. Then you've got to find some way of making the listener understand without subverting the book. That's my, my part of my process is the fear of, of people not understanding what I've read. If, if that can be, called part of the process and I don't think it's changed much from the very first time I read a book which were those three books from B Audio where in chapter eight having been given a trilogy with very very little time to read them um and several pieces of advice came at me where read as much as you can but you've got to start recording on the day you've got to start recording because you have to start uploading that day of course chapter eight she said in her husky South American accent the woman who's been in the five chapters previously that I didn't know about. Everybody's got that story. Everybody has that story. And it, it may well be that I just read it fast and didn't notice that, you know, I've gone, okay, yeah, I've got the plot. Yes. No one knew. Yes. Yeah, so she's saying this. Okay. Right, right, all right. Because I've only got that much time to read three 10 hour books um, where they don't describe the character until the end of book three, but they appear in book one. It's the process. Just, the process has to be, I respect this book. And I think for any actor worth their salt, that's the same process as how you approach a play, isn't it? The play is the thing. The playwright wrote a play. You know, if, if you hear an actor say, yes, if my, my character wouldn't say that, I want to slap that actor and go, no, the character does say that because God has given the character those words. And the God is the author. There ain't no getting away from it. You have to make that work. And it's the same in a book. You can't change it. Even if you wanted to, all your audiobooks are linked to, uh, to WhisperSync. So if there's any words out, it won't link to WhisperSync, which is a way where it kind of reads to you whilst you read the book. Um, and uh, the process has to be, I respect this book. I respect the author in the end. It hasn't really changed from that. I've got better at it, don't, no doubt. I've, I approach it faster, more professional, I'd like to think. I take it very, very, very seriously now, whereas originally I suppose I didn't have to. It was just I did a few jobs between jobs. Now it's, it's, it's my dinner on the table. It's, it's you know, I, I'm the only you know, person earning money in the house because of where we are, and it's got to be taken seriously and done well because I want the next job I'm freelance. Do you ever get to speak to the writer? Yeah. 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 Um, not often actual verbal conversations, but I have done those through publishers. The publishers tend to keep the writers very, um, in inverted commas, protected. I don't know what they're protecting them from. I think they're probably actually pre 
the publishers are protecting themselves from giving the writer too much input. The writer has bought the the publishers have bought the rights to the book. The publisher owns it. What they don't want is the author now saying, "You do this, you do this, you do this." But in most nowadays, this has changed. This has changed a lot in the last eight years. Nowadays, the author has say on who gets to read the book. Um, not always by any stretch, but um, the author does quite often, especially the the fiction author has say. Um, some of the independent ones I do, which are some of my favourite books, I've got a series called Odd Jobs and a series called Clovenhoof, written by the same couple. They're the funniest books I've ever read. They're brilliant, and I love them passionately. And that was through ACX, and I've had twelve books of theirs now, and. You know, ACX is a changing thing and it's not maybe as, as great as it was, but I will not disrespect ACX. It's given me that and they gave me so much fun. Um, and we've had chats, we've had whole conversations about the next series of books. There was one book where there was a, an alien language and, you know, they hadn't said what it was, but it was always written in capitals. So I decided it was like, <laughs> like that which was quite tiring. And I thought, well, this is really funny, isn't it? Because it's like one of those jokes that when you repeat it, it just gets funnier. And I was listening, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right, okay. It stops being funny for a while, but then it'll be funny again. And I think by the end of the book, we were all agreed it had stopped being funny. And we had to find a way that they loved it for that book. We had to find a way just to kind of, can, can we put a lid on that a bit for the next book? Because <laughs> all that language is in there. And they've been a joy to, joy to work with. Um, because I do feel like I'm working with them. And now they've just recently said, oh, we're doing this um, cop series. You know, can you do that for us as well? Like, brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, you do get to talk to the authors. And and those few times that I have has been so, oh, God, that's what we all want. Can I have a chat with the author? I mean, it turned out I got offered two books by Blackstone just recently. I've just finished recording them. They'll be out, they'll be out next year. Out next year, folks. Um, really dark, not horror, just dark fiction. And it turns out, completely by coincidence, that he's mates with these two people who wrote that one. And they, the publishers sent me a pronunciation list. So they're checking all the words first. And then I ended up, I just found him on Twitter because I thought, oh, he's a mate of theirs. And obviously... And I just, I didn't speak to him, but I had, I exchanged some Twitter messages and it was really nice to be able to check with him. And when the, when the um, corrections came back, there was a place name called Routon and it's spelled R-O-W-T-O-N. And I looked at him, Routon, that's Routon. In anyone's book, that's Routon. But I thought, oh, I've been, I've been caught out so many times. There'll be 200 corrections here if I don't get this right. So I rang up Roten Hotel and I rang up, you know, the tourist thing. And in the end, I wrote to him and said, just checking, it is Roughton and not Roten. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Roughton as in Al. So recorded the book and the corrections sheet came back and there's a thing called Positron that is being used to start the corrections sheets now. It's a sort of auto-correct and they tried to correct every single one. And there was 80. So I ended up with, you know, all these corrections. That's a lot of drop-ins and getting the voice right. And luckily, I had an engineer who was there when I was sent them. And I just sent him a thing saying, look, no, the author said this. And I said that. And he went, oh, brilliant. Good. Yeah, I wasn't sure. So that was easy. And that was just being in touch with the author. But you have to be careful because the publishers aren't over keen on it. Because no, but, also, it's, it's, you know, but it's important to get those things right. 
at that point because also there's the obsessive fan side of things as well isn't there well, where yeah. someone's likely to come back and say i really enjoyed it but he said this word he pronounced uh, this name wrong of this town <laughs> on this on this planet in the other side on the other side of the galaxy well we don't really know how you say it. well exactly it's made up place if it's fantasy, that's the joy of fantasy. It's you, you really, really, you do get to make it up. Again, in these books, there's a, a, a world, a land, a parallel place called Un, and it's spelt U-N. And every now and then it was, it was referred to as an un place. And I got halfway through the book, but he means un, doesn't he? Not Un. And I thought, un, that sounds crap. Un. He went to un. No, he went to Un. And it kind of fitted with some of the language he'd made up of language for some of the people. I thought, no, I want it to be un. And it, no corrections have come back because it's a fantasy place. Yeah. And I think I made the decision that added to the audio book. If I was reading it, I would have read that as un. Someone else might go, that's un. And, you know, there's a thin line and it might have come back. Oh, no, 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 the author hates that. It's un. Obviously it's un, it's un, but nothing's happened yet. And I've done the corrections, yeah, yeah. hopefully. Sure. But it's... That's also part of it. You, you know, whilst my passion is interpret the author, don't, don't be Matt Lloyd Davis, be the best version of the author you can, I can only do it my way. And any, any audiobook narrator can only do it their way. I can only be my voice. I can only, even when I listen to the different character voices and the accents or whatever I do, in the end, it's a, it's a, a version of me. Thanks very much, Matt. What book should the uninitiated go off and listen to of yours? How many? How many now? Uh, I think I'm about to hit 300 on Amazon on on, on Audible.com because on .co.uk there aren't as many. Um, I will go. I will play safe and say the one that I won, what's known as an Audi Award for, which is one of the biggest awards in audiobooks, and it's called Carpet Diem or How to Save the World by Accident by Justin Lee Anderson. Award winning, apparently. Uh, very funny, apparently. I loved reading it, is all I can tell you. And people uh, I know who've listened to it, I don't recommend many of my books, I find that weird. They have enjoyed it. Carpet Diem or How to Save the World by Accident by Justin Lee Anderson. Downloading it now. <laughs> Good luck. Matt, thanks very much. Hope You're to see so you. welcome. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> Me too, mate. All right, Love take you. care. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. In episode two, I'm talking with Tamsin Collison as we explore the other side of the glass, the role of audiobook and audio drama director. With over 450 books under her belt and having directed the likes of Tracy Ullman, Andrew Lincoln, Tandy Newton, David Tennant and Billy Piper, if you're interested in a thorough behind the scenes, then do check out episode two of The Recorded Voice. I'm Guy Michaels. Thanks for listening. <laughs>